Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast, Floyd's Rising. I'm Sabretooth, I collect NFTs for a living, and with me is Kizu, who's a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. We interview artists, collectors, and other interesting people in the NFT space. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Floor is Rising. With me today is a special guest, Corborn Bell, who is the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, MoCA. Um, he is a one-time investment banker and trader, but somehow he found his way into crypto and NFTs, and he started a very important project um, called the Museum of Crypto Art. Corborn, tell us, how did you get into NFTs? First of all, just real pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. You know, when I look back at the uh, my MetaMask transaction history, my first NFTs were were Mooncats, right? Original Mooncat Rescue. I remember just being out in California with with the family and and my sister around this computer, and just beginning to explain to her a bit of what was was happening with you know ICOs at the time and and kind of using mooncats as just like a fun little illustration on how to use metamask so those would have been my my first nfts so many people say they found out about either cryptopunks or crypto kitties i don't think i've ever heard of anyone say they discovered nfts through mooncats which is kind of the that in between period between punks and and kitties right I thought it was crypto kitties because obviously I remember people, you know, doing crypto kitties. But when there was the big rush to jump back and rediscover the moon cats, I right. was like, oh my gosh, like I, I did this. <laughs> and, and I and I went back and I recovered like 17 moon cats from wow. the original mission. It was pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> wow, nice. I nice. have amazing names. I, I was proud of the names that I did give those original cats. I had um I sifted through a lot of some of the writing that you've done on Medium. And for example, one of the things you mentioned previously was also that, you know, for the museum, you were very inspired by the Inyo team, which is the uh, big Brazilian outdoor sculpture park and botanical garden by the Brazilian magnate Bernardo Paz, right? So I was wondering, like, is that something that is important to you in building the museum in the sense that you do think that it's important to look at how real museum museums have developed over time and and across history. For me, there was really only one rule about the museum that is kind of comes from history, right? And that rule is not to participate in a like commercial side of the artwork. Right. I think everybody has, you know, commercial reasons for being in this space, or at least most people do. There's very few patrons and there's very few people that, you know, kind of focus and talk about the arts that are interested in the artists themselves. We know what crypto is. It's a speculator's game. But I think there's something more important and powerful here than just the money. And I want the museum to speak to the arts and not get caught up in the market games. And frankly, that's like my only hard rule for the museum that kind of comes from the history of what a museum was, right? As far as engaging with, you know, the traditional art world, that's a very open-ended question for me. Like, 
the thing that I care most about, right, is how do we spread cryptocurrency? How do we use this financial tool to empower more people? How do people use networks like Ethereum, open access networks, to, you know, access markets and participate and onboard their creativity and share, you know, their experience with the rest of the world? So in that sense, like, how do... You know, we use these tools to begin to to flatten identity and the way that people might be like preconceived or biased based on something that they could not have changed from their birth and then are suddenly, you know, entered into a system where, you know, they can create freely and they're more measured, measured and judged by what they create and how they are additive to a community. That is important to me. And then just like the visual language of crypto, you know, I think it's important that we have our own heroes here. And I think our heroes will will be the ones who, you know, effectively become kind of like the rock stars, superstars, vanguards of, you know, the, the Web3 movement and this like global shift towards empowering creatives and I guess the the intersecting mind meld of technology and, and creativity. Um, I'm just curious, was there something about in your team in the sense of nature that was attractive to you in addition to the art as well? Because uh, I mean, I think, you know, you could have chosen any number of indoor <laughs> museums, I guess. Yeah. But I think that a lot of people think of in your team as an interesting you know, kind of combination of the artificial and the, and the natural of art and nature. And so was that something that was important to you, like uh, from an ecological perspective? I spent the majority of my adult life in New York City, right? So I was very accustomed to these traditional white wall galleries, you know, the Met Museum, the MoMA, right? Where you are generally put on like a linear and chronological path. The building is designed that way to kind of take you through history, right? And so unbeknownst to you, whether you know it or not, like you are following somebody else's eye and path of curation. What was interesting to me about in, in Ho Chi Minh was that it was just an open park, right? So you could see something in the distance that could catch your eye. And you would walk there. There was no like guided tour. There was no right way to kind of see and begin to explore these. And for me, that was what was exciting is that suddenly my eye is now the curator of the path that I want to go on. And I thought it was just like a good fit for virtual reality, especially in a world like Somnium Space, where, you know, you, you are now guided by your own eye instead of like the directed path that somebody is putting you on. And that is self-empowering beyond that right and i think what you're touching on is like the sterility of an environment like a new york city gallery versus just like the wildness and explosiveness of a museum that sits in nature mm. right so i'm not here in virtual reality to kind of recreate white wall galleries no i want to play with the surreal right i want to like bend the elements of reality to like, again, reconvey what is possible and get people thinking about new realities and experimenting, you know, with new possibilities so that, you know, we aren't so stuck, but that we begin to embrace and accept change 
because the path that we're on as, as humans and humanity is into, you know, an, an exponential area where we constantly have to be adapting to this new technology. It will become greater, more powerful, you know, AI, machine learning, all of this will emerge. And instead of being, you know, so static and predefined and putting ourselves in these boxes and, you know, having expectations of what other people should be on any given day, you know, I think these types of environments and this type of artworks just they invite us to change and they invite us to, you know, awaken and reimagine the new every day. I think there's kind of four broad sort of categories of types of NFTs. One is sort of the profile picture, which is which is by far, I think, the biggest in terms of dollar value transacted anyway, um, sort of NFT right now. And then there's the, I guess, the, the on-chain sort of generative art of which art blocks currently dominates, which is a lot of sort of coders slash creators doing sort of on-chain generative, you know, art. And that's a segment um, in and of itself. And then there would be, I think, what primarily people associate now with, with sort of NFT art, which would be, you know, driven mostly by the, you know, the, the marketplaces like Super Rare, Maker's Place, Foundation, that kind of artist does work and then sells it. Um, and then there would be sort of NFT gaming of which there are, you know, Axie Infinity is probably the, the, the biggest right now, but there are tons of sort of blockchain games coming on. And so these are the, the four big NFT categories, I would say at this point in time right now in sort of October, 2021. Do you see Mocha as playing in, sort of just that, you know, one category of sort of artists sort of minting their art and then selling that? Or do you see Mocha as being bigger than that? And, and I guess the question would be like, do you see all those other things as being within the purview of art or are they are they not art? It's an amazing question. I am not going to be the one to tell anybody that something isn't art, right? So do I think that, you know, the, the profile pictures in and of itself is art. Absolutely. Right. I think there's plenty of art, you know, more in the like marketing design setup, who you get onboarded. Like this is, this is a game that, that people are playing and there is art in that game in knowing how to like maneuver it. I, I would never put like art into this very narrow category of like the digital picture that somebody creates. So will Mocha be involved in it? Certainly, right? I think it's all relevant to the history of NFTs. I think it's all relevant to, you know, what is crypto art? If people are getting onboarded through profile picture projects at the end of the day, that's amazing. What worries me at this moment is it feels very analogous to, you know, late stage 2017 ICO boom. Right. And I saw a lot of people get hurt there because they didn't know what they were investing in. They didn't know the founders. Right. There was no, you know, and what started generally and was powered by like high quality projects with deep teams that raised a lot of money on the backs of, you know, this mechanism of an ICO eventually devolved into really just like copy pasted white papers copy-pasted roadmaps, hastily thrown together teams, incentive structures all wrong, like rushing to just put a product out there. 
And we've seen that same evolution through this NFT space, right? Where it was really built up on on one-of-one artworks, a deep connection between like artist and collector, them knowing the intent, them knowing the process. And here we have devolved to, you know, the point where there's 20 to 30, 10,000 profile pictures being released every day. The formula has been proven and, you know, the only way for it to stop is for people to stop buying them. But as long as they're making money and flipping money, they won't. But eventually, like the, the bottom just falls out on these. It's inevitable. If we look at the history of sort of NFTs, I mean, and I mean, the first big spike was, was basically CryptoKitties, right? That kind of drew the first big sort of attention to the, to the space. And, and there was a ton of uh, copycat kind of NFT projects following CryptoKitties. Uh, and then after a while, they kind of mostly just died out. And um, the space for like a couple of years, you know, from the launching of kind of super rare was a lot about... Yeah, basically artists doing one-on-ones on Ethereum. You know, it was a pretty small space. I mean, there was there was obviously some games like the Axie Infinity, like Gods Unlimited. But, you know, the whole profile picture, you know, 10K projects, you know, layered art. Th- this is a really, really recent phenomenon. And, and you could even say generative art. I mean, generative art started with sort of autoglyphs in 2019, but it didn't really become like this huge thing that it is now until like 2021 with art blocks and then the the success of it and so the two biggest things in nfts right now are very very recent phenomenons like do do you see this shifting back to kind of the you know art focused artist focused because that definitely isn't where the attention or the money is right now um i mean do you see that Uh, shifting back or i think inevitably over time if i didn't have like the the context of of 2017 but I, I think some of the stuff you pointed to right now is just the hallmarks of a bit of the bubble that we're in, because what's happening is people just like with ICOs are, you know, are front running contracts. There's gas wars. There's people minting. There's such a desperation to get in because they think that they'll be able to flip it. Right. And there's, there's no, there's no value there. Like once a, once a founder of the project has cashed out for five, 10, $20 million, like what frankly is their incentive to provide any utility to, to the community? No, like, you know, they already know the model. They're just going to try and replicate the model until death. So I'd like to think that, that like this profile picture phenomenon is waning, you know, art blocks is, is something else entirely and I love a lot of the art being created out of there. And I think it's incredibly like unique and a wonderful tool set that they've given to creators. Uh, it's, I think you just see kind of like the same things in there where, where bots are scooping it all up and kind of like bringing it to, to market to flip. And I don't know what the like actual level of large scale human interest is in any of those assets. Uh, although to me, like, our blocks seems to be, you know, have like Eric and, and Snowfro is amazing, right? Like absolute genius. He has the, the right intent for the space. I can't say the same about like most of the, the founders for the profile picture projects. There's been a lot of talk about how one of the, the big upsides of the crypto art space is that a lot of the traditional gatekeeping you know, the roles that used to be performed by, say, the, the board at the MoMA or the Met, 
the patrons, the rich people with you know influence, but also like the curators, the people who actually have PhDs in art history and you know write scholarly texts and and monographs on artists and study their styles and and all of this helps to shape and and bestow value on art traditionally, right? Do you see the doing away of the gatekeeping as as entirely a good thing? Or do you think that moving forward, you know, I think in the context of crypto, what would governance look like in the context of a museum of crypto art? The whole reason we created the Mocha token was begin to transition, you know, this foundation from like our control as directors and and team members into like a quasi DAO, into a full DAO as the technology gets to a point where we will be able to like very quickly facilitate decision-making. You know, something that has never been done to my knowledge is a museum that is curated by, you know, the members of that museum, right? It's always a top-down approach to arts and culture people who, you know, have acquired, you know, perhaps expertise or power or family influence, whatever it is, generally push culture down. But I think here for the the first time, we have the opportunity to like push people up and we can have essentially like the folk heroes of crypto who are like the folk artists of, of Web3 that really, you know, speak to what people are connecting with. It's just we're so, so early that most people aren't willing to kind of begin to explore deeper than what the market is telling them at the surface. Just for example, like Xcopy, I think, has emerged as a folk hero of crypto art. That is somebody who is like is working in a in a glitch hyper contemporary style that is very critical and points to the flaws of contemporary society whether it's the stuff that he does on news or you know like this is clearly money laundering he finds like the moments of of outrage and the pressure points that crypto hits and for me that is a folk crypto artist Let's get into like where you see Mocha today and, and 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 I guess what your plans are for the project going to the future. You guys launched token shot up. You got your sort of initial roadmap done, which is, you know, build your initial Genesis collection, do the airdrop for you know the all the open sea users from 2018, 2019, 2020. And then as with all crypto, hype moves on to, to something else. And you guys are sort of building um what what do you, what do you see as you know the future for Kamoka? What, what what are you working towards right now? I'm looking at what happens when people are done collecting. Right. I'm looking to a point where, you know, people have acquired assets, you know, this market inevitably will will slow down and they're looking for the ways to kind of express their identity through their collection. So, you know, recently we launched like our our Mocha members pass, which that's a cat on the keyboard, Um, (laughs) which I basically view as a, a metaverse passport. Right. Like this is where, at least for art. So this is where, you know, we're going to basically like show 
you know, the myriad of ways that people are interacting with the museum and how that like grows your membership and leads to an identity. From like your collection, we will be able to provide you with kind of like an AI and virtual curator that can help you explore like different facets of crypto art. I'm very also concerned about how do we begin to record more of a permanent history of what is happening at the space at any given time. And I think where like Bitcoin was so successful was in their forum board that you could always go back and kind of see and uncover new things. And that's where stuff got announced first. And how do we build a living timeline of this history that isn't happening on Twitter where it just kind of passes? Beyond that, like continuing to to build the Genesis collection, you know, me going back and there's so much curation activity that needs to happen. It's just, you know, when the market is hot, there's like other things to be doing. So kind of taking, you know, the three to five year view of, of what I want this to be, I will continue to like curate, provide open source tools for people to also curate, you know, find their own communities. I'm very interested in the idea of just like finding a metaverse integration partner that will allow people to like instantly populate from our members page their own gallery show um, based on, you know, some thematic programming that they have done within their own collection. Let's talk about the metaverse. It seems like everyone wants metaverse, but nobody really can describe what what actually it means. What does metaverse mean to you when, when you say you want to have that kind of integration? Like in, in your mind, what what is it? A concept that has always fascinated me is the idea of just like global internet villages. How we, no matter where we are in the world, no matter like what we've chosen to provide as our identity, the ability to connect in a communal space and connect on the basis of kind of like ideas and similar interests. The metaverse is, is frankly anything that exists beyond, you know, like my immediate physical bubble. There's like the metaverse in the phone, there's metaverse in the computer. Like I think Discord is a metaverse. It's anything that has that that social overlay that isn't constrained by physical reality. The experience that I'm like ultimately looking to create with the Museum of Crypto Art would be a a like a set of public good spaces where people could you know go spend an afternoon and like invite their friends and explore like the mocha sculpture garden right so they could walk through they could talk about the art they could catch up with their friends whether you know one is in like singapore and the other is in paris it's pretty incredible I think the leap of like experiential reality that a VR headset provides a feeling of like connection and closeness that you don't get on zoom or you don't get on FaceTime and how that begins to, you know, come into people's lives will be incredibly important and how those experiences are designed you know, we don't, I can say with certainty, like we do not want Facebook designing those experiences 
and engineering like information directly into our eyes because that will affect all of like our psychology and physiology in a way that they almost you know very profoundly control at the moment through Facebook and Instagram and so it has to come from a place that isn't a corporation that is probably working on a you know nonprofit level and is you know <laughs> it should be grounded in like art and culture and authentic self expression and in creating these types of public spaces we give people safe homes for them to have digital identity and to share experiences within like these global communal villages i think this is the paradox of uh, of crypto crypto is basically one of the most financialized spaces ever like everything has a value attached to it building something that is a public good in what is the most financialized sort of space ever is 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 kind of like a you know it's it's a paradox <laughs> I'm wondering how you think about it because inherent in this, right, is that uh, Mocha itself has has a token. It seems from, from talking to you, Colburn, that um, you have a very long-term but also a, a public good perspective on on the utility of Mocha and the and the reasoning of why Mocha exists. But at the same time, it you know it, it is a project in the crypto space. It has a token, uh, and the token has a has a value. How do you yeah, how do you navigate this sort of seeming paradox, basically? It's very difficult, right? Because I don't have a, a revenue model for the museum, you know? So the initial revenue model was, was built on the token. Now, I would expect that this is a place ultimately that patrons of the art find and want to support. And just knowing what I know about the token holders, like this is the case. Right. So this is where I begin to kind of figure out who is going to be like a proper steward of the Mocha mission and begin to transform and assign responsibility to these people to be stewards. So in making it not a speculative play, I find who actually cares about the intent and the vision and the project and then, you know, in a way, like begin to, to just incentivize people to cooperate, collaborate, and just join us when they're ready in, in this type of mission, if that makes sense. Uh, you talked about sort of uh, your, your friend and co-founder earlier on in, in, in the interview. I'm assuming you're referring to, to Pablo uh, Rodriguez Feo. The, the yeah. other co-founder of Mocha, and I, I believe he's no longer with with the project. And it, it, it was what you talked about partially a reason for that? Just the clashing of visions, or uh, maybe you yeah. like to talk about that? It was. It was entirely that. It was just different different visions and different desires. You know, there's there's not too much that I would really share publicly about that, other than like Pablo is brilliant. He's a dear friend. It was, you know, difficult to go our separate ways, but we both recognized that it was in kind of like the, the best interests of what we both wanted to do. You said, and maybe it's something peripheral, but you said that you were thinking about how to maintain a sense of the living timeline of what's happening. How's that living timeline of, of, of crypto art going to take shape? I believe in like public and transparent as much as possible. You know, there is an artist who has done incredible 
very deep academic work that is on our artist council. And his, his name is Martin Lucas Ostakowski. And you can go to his website and you can see his history of, of crypto art timeline. We, you know, borrowed it and put it on our website as well. And, you know, what happened when the commercial value of NFT started to explode is that he was just getting inundated. So the, and then it was just unfair for him to be able to, to make those decisions. So he came to us and he said, you know, like, is this something that we could find a process around, you know, with the, with the artist council to just like help me begin to decide. And, you know, I think that is just symbolic of the ways in which we begin to separate, you know, power outside of one individual, two groups of individuals, and then spread it down to, to the community. We just don't have like great tools to do it. And my team is small and we work nonstop and there's just so much that needs to be done. Like we have to take the, the long three to five year timeline on this. But again, like as we start to see over time who is interested in these things, we know that the artists certainly care about the history. And generally it's the collectors that care about kind of perverting that history for their own intents. You know, we've always been like a museum for the artists. And I think if we can just like continue to provide a space for them to feel, again, like more free to create, more safe to express like how and why they create and to kind of like validate creation at all ends of, of the spectrum, then we're doing a, a big service to like the question of, of what is art and like what is the, the history of this space. Before uh, I let you go, Corbin, tell us uh, who is your favorite crypto artist? No, that's an impossible question for me to answer, right? Like I, 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 I love crypto art, right? I love the depth and the breadth. And I love like the fact that there are people all over the world that I've made friends with, that I've connected with their art, that like I feel connected to. And we found each other through like Ethereum. And we are like sharing value and we're sharing dialogue. And like the money doesn't really mean anything, but the art is priceless and like all of these things and how we come together. And like that to me is what is powerful here. The, the speed at which all of us are learning. I love crypto art. I don't have a favorite crypto artist. Um, <laughs> you know, like there's so much beautiful work out there that every day I wake up and it just like excites me to keep going, to keep digging. I love the thrill of the hunt. There's, like you can go into my collection and see like there are certain artists that I just am super, super excited about. It's all in the collection. It's all in the addresses. And, you know, for whatever moment in time, for whatever reason, it just captures who I was and what I was feeling. It's been like an inexplicable healing process for me and just like a beautiful, beautiful project to continue to like it's life life work you know i'm just ultra ultra passionate about doing this thank you colburn for joining us and uh, this has been an episode of floor is rising thank you for joining me for this episode of floor is rising 
If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. You can reach out to us, send us a question, and just send us a DM on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. <laughs>